Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is the 19th of November, and here in Arizona, the 13A strip hunt has already been completed. The 13B hunt, uh, they're right in the middle of that hunt. Uh, Opening day was this last Friday. Today is Monday, so they've been hunting for several days. Uh, There are some mid-November cooster hunts going on. There's early December cooster hunts uh, coming up. The late December cooster is coming up. Uh, We've got uh, some Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep hunts uh, are going on right now. The bulk of the sheep hunts in Arizona are kicking off uh, here December 1st. I'm back in Arizona from Colorado. I'm done with my duties uh, at the Ot6 Ranch for now. Uh, we uh, Colorado just uh, finished their fourth season, uh, and uh, uh, we had uh, some hunters in on the ranch. Some owners of the the uh, or some friends of the owners uh, shot some management bulls. I'm back here in Arizona. I went and collected my trail cameras uh, out in. Western Arizona, spent two days getting my cameras, uh, got some really cool pics of a lion uh, that the Game and Fish knows well. I guess his uh, nickname or uh, what he's known by is KM14. Uh, he's been known to travel uh, multiple mountain ranges down in west southwestern uh, Arizona, and uh, he was on three of the different drinkers. One of the drinkers I got up to check the camera, and I noticed a pile of uh, mule deer bones, kind of some hide and a little bit, little bit of meat still left on, and um, thought, man, that would be unbelievable if uh, I, I wasn't 100% sure if it was a lion or if maybe coyotes had gotten to it, but um, wasn't much left of it. And uh, anyway, got the camera, uh, pulled the card, and there's. Uh, over a hundred photos of the lion. He crawls up in the tree right next to my cameras looking around. Um, but he kills a deer just out of camera view uh, and drags the deer right into the middle of the, the view. It's on my Instagram, J. Scott Outdoors on Instagram. Anyway, proceeds to eat on it for about six or seven days uh, and then hasn't been back since. Interestingly, he had been on two of the other cameras and pretty much we had photos of him from, I uh, want to say, around the 26th, roughly mid-August to mid to late September. Um, he covered a, a pretty good range there in, in the, in the uh, New Water Mountains, um, but pretty neat uh, to see a tom lion. Pretty alarming, though, to have a lion roaming around in sheep country. Um, I know the Kofa herd had uh, a major lion problem and killed off, I want to say like 70% of the sheep in the Kofas, and they got a handle on that, and the sheep have really rebounded, but um, this this uh, tom lion is still uh, prowling around. So uh, for the sheep's sake, uh, we've got a ton of lions in the state, and uh, I'd like to see the sheep thrive, and if we can keep the lions out of the sheep units, that would be good. So... Uh, let's see, where did I get off track? Uh, sheep hunts kicking off all over the state. Uh, we're doing our scouting, looking forward to the hunt starting December 1st. And I thought on this episode, I've, I've gotten a lot of questions in, a uh, bunch of questions. I like to do question and answer uh, on uh, Instagram, uh, but I figured I'd go through a bunch of the questions because I know there's uh, podcast listeners that aren't on Instagram as well. So uh, let's cover some ground. I uh, want to encourage you guys, if you do have any questions of me, you can reach me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can also go on my Instagram account at jscottoutdoors. Send me a direct message. Uh, you can follow along on my Instagram account. I'm uh, a couple times a week doing a question and answer session. I try to answer every single question that comes in. So, um, and all of this wouldn't be possible without the sponsorship of my great sponsors. Uh, we've got GoHunt.com, the, the gear shop, the optics department. My friend Cody Nelson's the optics manager there. We've got Kuyu.com. Uh, we've got uh, PhoneScope.com. 
We've got canyoncoolers.com, and a new edition of sponsorship is onxmaps.com. And uh, midway through the show, I'm going to give you the promo codes for those companies where you can save money. You can also click on the show notes uh, of this podcast and see the different promo codes. So it's basically jscott18 uh, with most of the companies, and that's going to save you anywhere from 10 to 20%. Uh, when purchasing, and I appreciate you guys supporting those sponsors. I appreciate you guys, each and every one of you. Uh, I really like the feedback. I really like the question and answer. I'm always happy to uh, answer questions in regards to hunting, fishing, business, podcast, guests, whatever you guys want to talk about. Uh, I try and be as transparent as possible. So let's get let's dive into some of these questions. Says Jay, tips for glassing late season elks. Uh, slow like deer or faster and looking at the same spot multiple times. So late season elk, my answer was pretty fast because elk shine that time of year. Uh, make sure to glass thick hillsides on north and northeast, northwest slopes. Uh, they live in a pretty tight circle. So for you guys that have late season elk hunts, that are either underway with some of these Arizona archery hunts or for you uh, late season Arizona uh, elk hunters. Uh, one thing you need to know is these elk, after the rut, they try and go in the nastiest, thickest, most remote parts of these units. They do not like to be disturbed. Uh, they typically bachelor up kind of like they are in the velvet time, although they're hanging in country where they have easy access to feed and usually it's on the north facing slopes uh, and the thickest slopes. You get those manzanita hillsides, you get those mahogany hillsides um, where they can come out and eat grass and where they can graze on grass and where they can uh, um, feed on the forbs and feed on the different bushes and such uh, as well. Um, they like cover and they like shade. So, you know, they're, they're trying to lick their wounds after the rut. So they're going to be uh, on those thick hillsides. For you hunters saying your 6As, uh, your 6Bs, your unit 8s, uh, unit 22, 23, um, some of those units, you have the luxury a little bit of glassing across some of those canyons and finding those thick uh, brushy hillsides that give them the most shade. And if you focus on north and northeast facing slopes, you're going to find more bulls. Uh, the challenge with the hunt on a year like this with antler growth that is uh, not as good as you're going to have a lot of broken bulls because you've got broken or brittle, more brittle antlers. Uh, and you're going to have, you know, our antler growth was not as good. So, you know, even a bull that's not broke up is probably not going to be at its maximum potential. Uh, but one of the good things, if you do find a, a, a group of bulls, typically they're not going to move a whole lot during the day. It's very common for them to kind of you know, stay in about a hundred yard circle and, and feed and bed. And that's their, that's their routine this time of year. So if people haven't jostled them around and kicked them around, um, and you're scouting some bulls, uh, or if you're headed out to go scout, you definitely want to find those groups of bulls and then you want to stay away from them and you want to keep your eye on them. And then you want to figure out how you can get into a, you know, quote unquote, uh, sniper position to shoot across. A lot of these late season elk hunts are pretty long shots. Uh, but if you're not, if you're seeing cows and calves, you probably need to move into a little bit more rugged uh, type country. And um, I'm sure we'll get some more questions on elk here in a minute. Let's, let's go to the next question. Uh, favorite skinning knife you've used is the Benchmade Altitude Worth the money. Um, I've never used a Benchmade knife. Uh, I, I've been liking the new uh, Civilware uh, IBK, which is interchangeable blade knife. And Jeff Rowley, who I've had on this podcast, actually is the owner of the company uh, Civilware. And on Instagram, it's at Civilware. That's C-I-V-I-L-W-A-R-E. 
And um, I really like Jeff Rowley. He is actually a professional skateboarder. Um, he uh, is known for taking the company Vans, uh, as in, you know, Vans like the skateboarding shoes, which are now mainstream. I mean, every people that don't even skateboard wear Vans. But uh, Jeff uh, is known for taking the company Vans and turning that company around and uh, really making that a mainstream brand. And he's a, he's a, he's a professional skateboarder. He does skateboard, uh, uh, he's a skateboard commentator. He's one of the most respected skateboarders. He's from originally Great Britain. I've had him on the podcast. He's a huge hunter. Uh, he hunts with uh, Jake Franklin out in California. Uh, and they hunt sheep and deer and, and bear and all sorts of stuff. Uh, but he also loves dry ground uh, uh, lion hunting and is hunted with uh, friends of the podcast that I've had on before as well, Andy Knowlton. Uh, and Jeff, anyway, is just a great guy. And he's got uh, a, a knife that I carry all the time on my belt, um, all the time, whether I'm at the Odd Six Ranch or just, just every single day. Um is, is a folding knife that's a civilware folding knife and it just comes in real handy. But uh, this season, uh, I've been using that IBK, uh, which is an interchangeable blade. It's just like the Havlon uh, knife, but the handle, if you will, is a lot more sturdy. It's a lot more, I, I guess, ergonomic uh, to your hand. It's a lot more solid knife. I've used the Havlon for years and they're real super lightweight and they tend to break and what have you. Uh, I really like this IBK because you can um, take the same Havlon type blades, and but it's easier to put them on and take them off. Whereas the Havlon, sometimes you have to have a little, um, uh, you can't just do it with your fingers. You have to have a needle nose pliers or something uh, or a Leatherman to get the the blades on and off. The IBK is, is seems like they stay on better, but they're easier to get on and off. So uh, I've been using that blade and then as well um, the Kestrel Knives, Nathan Creech, uh, who is also a big Kuyu supporter uh, out of California. Kestrel Knives, that's at Kestrel, that's K-E-S-T-R-E-L Knives. Uh, that's on Instagram. I think it's also KestrelKnives.com. Uh, but his little mountain caper uh, is is a fixed blade knife uh, that I really like. It's real lightweight. I, uh, it's 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 a sweet little knife, and I've used it quite a bit. Uh, so those are the two knives I use. It says, "Hi Jay, I just drew a javelina tag in Unit 22. Uh, never hunted javelina before. Any tips?" Uh, my tips for javelina, I am not a big javelina hunter, but I see them obviously all the time when I'm glassing for coos deer. Uh, they're a perfect spot and stock animal. Uh, javelina is also a perfect animal for someone that's just getting into hunting. Uh, javelina is a perfect animal for kids and, and getting families out hunting. Uh, you know, a lot of the seasons they ha we have them, I believe, in, in November. Uh, we also have seasons that run in archery seasons in January and some, uh, they call them ham hunts, handgun, archery, or muzzleloader hunts that run in uh, kind of the early part of February. And then there's the general season, which is a rifle hunt. Uh, but javelina are pretty widespread throughout Arizona uh, in the northern units, the central units, the southern Arizona units. We pretty much have javelina everywhere. Uh, one uh, one tip I would give is if you find prickly pear, if you if you have prickly pear type habitat, you're probably going to find javelina. Although they can be as high as you know seven thousand, six seven thousand feet. I know they're starting to be, get really thick up on the Boquias Ranch in Unit Ten. Uh, I know in Unit Nine they're 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 getting thick. Unit Eight, uh, so they're really kind of all over. Uh, but in a general rule of thumb, if you find prickly pear uh, vegetation, uh, you're going to find javelina. And a tip would be they're a great animal to glass. And if you can get any elevation at all looking over, say, a prickly pear flat or some prickly pear ridges, uh, more than likely you're going to find javelina. Now, the interesting thing about javelina is they're not early risers typically when it's in these cooler months. 
they're an animal that you can glass all day. They typically are not like a bed down type animal like a deer is where you've got your prime time hours from, you know, sun up and sun down. Javelina is pretty much an animal that you can glass up feeding in, in herds and groups uh, all day long. It's kind of rare to see a lone javelina. Normally you're seeing, you know, big family groups of, you know, anywhere from say seven or eight to, you know, was, you know 15 or 20 in a group. Um, a lot of times in the morning, uh, once the sun has kind of come up at kind of that eight o'clock time frame when, you know, it's been pretty cold and it starts to warm. If you, if you first look at the hillsides that are the sunny hillsides, if you glass those hillsides first, uh, typically you're going to find uh, groups of javelina. I recommend glassing off of a tripod, so a good pair of binoculars. You don't need a spotting scope, but a good pair of binoculars mounted on a tripod, glassing into prickly pear type country, more deserty type country, uh, and glassing the sunny hillsides. Uh, you can typically find uh, javelina and they love prickly pear. So you find prickly pear and you look for a long enough period of time, you're going to end up finding them. Uh, they're not too hard to spot. And usually when you spot one, there's multiple. And then from there, they don't uh, see very well at all. Uh, they'll let you can stock up on them. I mean, they can hear well, but um, their biggest thing is you've got to definitely get the wind right. Uh, their nose is everything. If, if they smell you, they're gone. Uh, hopefully that helps. Uh, unit 9, late rifle strategy and tactics and general locations. This is a question that's come in. Um, some tips are I'm not going to give specific locations because I don't, I don't like to do that. Um, I would find any height advantage you can in Unit 9. One of the challenges with Unit 9 is compared to a lot of other units, it's fairly flat, it's really thick, and you need to use your vantage points to your advantage, if that makes sense. Um, it's going to be tough. You need to prepare for a tough year. Antler growth up in Unit 9 was, uh, you know, some of the 350 plus bulls, 350 to say 400 inch bulls, you know, lost 25, 30 inches this year. So prepare for antler growth not being as good. And like I said before, um, elk are going to bed. Uh, not necessarily on north or northeast facing slopes in unit nine it's a lot flatter so they're going to seek out the thickest juniper thickets that they can find so if you use your advantage of height and find contour lines whether it be ridges uh, or little knobs or mountaintops uh, you want to be looking uh, well back up if you look on google earth you can find some of those real thick juniper thickets and you can almost bet that the elk are going to be in those thick areas of juniper. And then so your, your goal is to uh, pick out the, the surrounding peripheral areas of those real thick juniper thickets. And they'll be coming out of those because there's not much vegetate or not much feed or vegetation for them to browse on. In, the, in those thickets, they'll have to come out into some of those more open parks, those sagebrush parks, those grassy parks to feed. So first light in the morning, you need to be up on your glassing point, not in gray light. You need to be waiting for it to get light and sitting there and trying to pick apart on the edges of those thick junipers uh, and find where those bulls are using to feed and then if you have to, you know, leapfrog, get a couple knobs closer, or if you have to sit on the edge of a field um, or an opening and know that they fed in there most of the times that night, if you get your wind right, they're going to feed right out in the same spot. So hopefully that helps. Uh, unit 33 archery bear tag. I drew the May through July. Do you have any tips? Uh, Got to be honest, I have not hunted Unit 33 for spring bear, and haven't hunted 33. Haven't hunted spring bear myself at all. Uh, I've seen quite a few bears. Uh, one thing, you know, I don't have a lot of experience, but one thing uh, with that hunt that I would tell you is find your good water sources, uh, find your springs, find your dirt tanks, uh, find your windmills, find any any place where these bears are going to get water. Uh, check those waters for tracks. 
um, potentially set up some trail cameras on those uh, springs and what have you. And then I, I'm a glasser, so I would just find vantage points and get up and glass off your tripod until you, until you find where those bears are at. And then it's a true spot and stock hunt. Uh, question, would you say a 90-inch buck is doable in 36C mid-November? How many bucks a day should you see? I would say, yeah, a 90-inch buck is doable um, in mid-November. The one thing in 36C, the one thing you have to understand is that there's already been an October hunt, uh, and the bucks have already been jostled. A lot of guys that kill these really big bucks um, that I've had on the podcast, like uh, Jim, uh, Jake Lindsay, Kuzo uh, CD, um, uh, Eric Forrest, a, a bunch of you know the Arizona Ground Pounders. Uh, Dwayne Adams, a bunch of these guys, and there's a bunch more I'm, I'm leaving out, but um, they like that October hunt because they can scout all summer, they can pattern those bucks, and then they get first shot at them. Uh, you guys that have the mid-November cooster hunts or even these early December cooster hunts, you know, the, the, the units have had quite a bit of pressure. They've had people moving around. Uh, one thing I would say is try and get away from the roads, try and get in some of those areas where people are not getting into. And then again, kind of like the late elk hunt, uh, coos deer after about nine o'clock in the morning, they are going to seek shade. So they are going to be on those north, northeast, northwest facing slopes where they have the most shade. So if you look at your Google Earth, uh, and uh, say your Onyx maps and use the aerial portion and you look for the areas that are going to be after say 10, 11 o'clock in the shade and certainly the afternoon shade. So you're going to want to be in the morning using the sun to your advantage, but then shifting it, you know, as soon as it starts to warm up, you're going to want to shift and start looking into the shady pockets and you'll start finding more bucks if you focus on shade. Let's see what else I have here. Um, yeah, you got to get out and scout and you got to hunt the whole hunt and get away from the roads and hike a bunch and, you know, put put some effort into it. And a 90-inch buck is is doable. I would say that you should probably see around five, six, seven bucks a day um, and maybe more than that. Um, and if you're seeing, again, like the cows and calves, if you're just seeing does and fawns, you need to move country, whether that be down in a lower elevation or up in a higher elevation, or most of the time, I would just say in a little bit rougher, a little uh, more rocky uh, type vegetation. Okay, question. I've got a late season cow elk hunt coming up. Any tips? I'm going to tell you that I, you know, I don't have a ton of experience hunting cows. Uh, obviously, I've hunted elk a lot, but never really focused on cows. I would use the same strategy on cow elk as I would on pretty much anything. Gain elevation, use your vantage points, uh, and like Dwayne Adams says on the podcast before, the angle of the dangle, which is where a, a lip or the end of a point just drops enough to give you a broad vantage point where you can see a lot of country. And then it comes down to just glassing your brains out, you know, on a tripod with a great pair of binoculars. And cow elk are going to be fairly easy to find. Um, and they're going to be fairly easy to, you know, get within three or 400 yards and get in a sniper position and be able to take a shot. Um, you know, one thing I would consider is, uh, you know, they're not going to be in as near as rough a country as, say, the bulls will be uh, during the late season. Uh, but just get up and glass them up. Hopefully that helps. A uh, question comes in about one of the sponsors, uh, Onyx uh, Maps, uh, Onyx Hunt. You can go to onyxmaps.com. If you use the jscott18 promo code, you're going to get a 20% discount uh, there at Onyx. But the question comes in, how do I check between private and public land on Onyx Map? And my answer is it's a simple click of a button by turning the layer on or off. There's a private public land layer that basically if you click it, it's going to show you the ownership. It's going to show you whether it's BLM, whether it's federal land, uh, whether it's forest, whether it's state. If it's private land, it's not only going to show the borders of the private, uh, it is going to show the name of the owner. So 
you know, it'll say like double Adobe Ranch or, you know, John Smith, and it'll actually give the owner of the property. You can click on that property and it will give you the size of the property. But all of the borders of the property are delineated by an orange line as well. Um, for instance, on the Onyx, like the BLM portion of land is usually in yellow. Um, usually the state pieces are in blue. Uh, the forest pieces are sometimes in blue as well. Um, it also shows you wilderness. It shows you, it's pretty cool. Onyx has uh, a topo, it has an aerial, and then it has a, um, a hybrid version. So you can kind of click on the hybrid, which is what I like a lot, where you've got the aerial view, plus it shows contour lines, plus it shows ownership. Uh, and then there's, there's also layers that, uh, you know, show old prescribed burns, uh, show old uh, show wildfires and as you know as a hunter a lot of game likes to seek areas that have been burned so not only will it tell you it'll show it right on the aerial map right on your phone or your computer screen uh, it will show those areas of burn and you can kind of focus sometimes your pre-scouting uh, according to those burns I had a uh, listener the other day sent me his hunt plan for one of the units in northern Arizona for the late elk hunt and he's going to be focusing on five or six of the latest burns and one of the cool things is it shows the date of the burn as well so you can tell new burns from old burns um, where that is significant is you know sometimes those new burns that are you know a year two three years old they've done a lot of replanting a lot of revegging uh, and that those forbs and and that browse on uh, the grass and such is is tender um, and maybe a little better than some of the old burns that are say you know 10 years old or so um, so use the j scott uh, 18 promo code you're going to save a 20 percent discount uh, you will find uh, that onyx is very easy to use uh, we've got a question arizona unit 22 archery deer advice and tactics number one i'd get away from the roads we've talked about that uh, already uh, I would glass from a high point down on the valley floor. Now, I think that's important. He's talking about Arizona Unit 22 deer advice. Uh, mule deer are going to be on a lower level, so you're going to want to get up high and glass down. But it's a good general rule of thumb for coos deer as well. I like to hike up high and glass across or glass down. Uh, use the contour lines uh, to your advantage as your vantage points. Uh, don't stop glassing all day, especially if you're talking about the uh, Unit uh, 22 uh, archery deer, the OTC coming up uh, here in uh, January. You're talking about you know December and January timeframe where these deer could be rutting. Um, they're on their feet a lot, so sometimes some of the best glassing is right during the middle of the day. Uh, and then again, like we've talked about, glass into the shade in the afternoon and the evenings. I see a lot of guys, they put the, in the afternoon, they'll put the sun at their back so that when they're looking through their binos, it's, it's bright. And yes, if you did see a deer in the sun, it's going gonna, it's gonna to shine. But most of the deer, even mule deer or coos deer, they're going to be on the shady sides of the hills. So you need to glass in the afternoon looking into the sun. And guys, oh, I don't like looking into the glare, but you don't understand. You, if, if you look into the shade in the afternoon, you are looking where the deer are. Just like if it's super windy and you're looking on the windy side of the hill, there's, you might find a deer or two. But if you look on the lee side of the hill where, the, where it is calm, you're going to be able to pick up way more deer because you're looking on the percentage side where most of the deer are hanging. Hopefully that helps. Uh, largest sheep population in the Beartooth, Montana, 300, 303, 500, 501, 502. I answer the question. I haven't the slightest clue. I can't spell Montana. I do love Montana, though. I love it for fishing and for hunting. I was able to go up to Montana by Bozeman and hunt with the Kuyu guys a couple years, and it was just a phenomenal place. Uh, but uh, I would consult uh, Go Hunt Insider, uh, GoHunt.com Insider. And um, Go Hunt Insider was a title sponsor of my podcast for a long time. Go Hunt has kind of shifted that sponsorship to the uh, gear shop or the optics department. 
uh, with Cody Nelson being the manager there, a friend of mine for over 20 years. But uh, I still promote the Go Hunt Insider. It's the best Western hunting uh, resource tool there is. Um, and if you go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott, uh, you're going to get actually a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card when you sign up. So just becoming an insider member, you get a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop uh, gift card and you can use that in the gear shop. But if you're wanting to research harvest statistics, harvest data, population data, if you're wanting to get uh, strategy articles on how to apply for Montana as well as the different western states, I uh, definitely recommend going to Go Hunt Insider and checking that out. It's the best western, western hunting resource there is out there. Got a question. Can I get away with my Icon Pro 5200? So that's an Icon Pro Kuyu Icon Pro 5200 for a 10-day sheep hunt or should I get the 7200 bag? I would say you could get away with the 5200, but you're really going to be pushing it. And for not a lot of added extra weight, barely anything at all, I would much rather see you go into the field with a 7200 cubic inch uh, Icon Pro uh, from Kuyu and have room to uh, bring all your stuff. I, I just don't see the need on a on a hunt like that to not go ahead and... Uh, get the 7200 bag and, and feel like you can take enough ample gear. Uh, so I would definitely go with the 7200. Guys, I also want to remind you um, before we get to the next question that we do have one spot left. Dar Colburn is taking a group of four guys. Right now there's only three hunters uh, down to kick off the Mexico coos deer hunting season in, in Mexico. Uh, and that trip is December 28th through January 5th. And we're looking for one more person to go. Uh, so it'll be a group of four. Uh, Dar and our uh, one of our guys that guides with us, Hunter Haynes, are taking this group of four guys uh, down to a new ranch. Uh, Dar has really high hopes and expectations for the quality of bucks on this ranch. Uh, you guys are going to be the first uh, hunters to hunt there. And um, there's only three that have signed up right now. We're looking for a fourth. If you guys have any, uh, want any further information, you can send me an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can also send me a direct message on my Instagram account at jscottoutdoors. Got a question here. It says, hey, Jay, uh, is the Kuyu Super Down Pro too heavy to bow hunt in? Question mark. And then it has ultra super. Uh, ultra down jacket question mark and the answer of both of those are made for sitting still if you want an active jacket i would go with the new kenai ultra uh, it has pit zips and 3d fx insulation uh, in other words it breathes when moving i also got another text question today on the same subject wanting to know one the difference between the super down pro and the super down ultra the Super Down Pro is going to have twice the amount of insulation, but both jackets are going to be made for not wearing as you hike up to your glassing point. They're going to be made for once you get to your glassing point, you put that jacket on while you're glassing. If you're looking for a jacket that you can wear uh, when you're actively hiking or spot and stock hunting or still hunting, you're going to want to go with a synthetic insulation that breathes. Uh, the the Kenai uh, Ultra, the new Kenai Ultra has pit zips and it has that active, um, it, it's for active wear. So it's, it's, it's nice and warm, but it also breathes. You have pit zips, so it allows it to vent. But it's also great if you get up to your glassing point and you know you want to you want to sit there for a while. So, uh, and the difference between the Super Down Pro and the Super Down Ultra, the Super Down Pro has twice the insulation. Uh, it is very very warm. It's a little bit heavier, yes. Um, but I absolutely in Colorado at the Ot Six Ranch, I loved wearing the uh, Super Down Pro jacket and pants and. Uh, on my uh, Kenai, uh, excuse me, on my Chugach uh, doll sheep hunt this year, I took the uh, Super Down Pro uh, pants and jacket, and it was awesome when it was, 
you know, spitting, spitting rain, spitting snow, windy. Um, I would put the super down pants on and then I'd put my, uh, uh, Kenai, uh, excuse me, my, um, Yukon rain pants over the top of the super down pro pants and I was nice and toasty. Uh, so hopefully that helps. Uh, question here. Uh, best gear for Alaska moose hunt, late September, early October. Uh, my answer to this question is from someone who has not moose hunted. I, uh, you know, I'm going to give you my opinion, but you know, take it for what it's worth. I have not moose hunted. I do know that late September, early October in Alaska is going to be cold. Uh, so I definitely go with the Kuyu Yukon rain gear, which is their heaviest duty rain gear. It's still very, very breathable and very lightweight. I would go with the Super Down Pro pant and jacket. So when you're stopping to call for a while or you're stopping to glass, you would have that. Um, I would also possibly look in, into waders. I would ask your outfitter, you know, if you're going to be hunting in very, uh, very wet, wetland type of, of terrain, uh, you know, in, in the creeks, in the rivers, like those moose, uh, like to inhabit. So, you know, find out if you need to, if you need waders, uh, but go back to, if you're going to be moving quite a bit, that's where, if you have the Kenai Ultra jacket with the synthetic insulation, that's where with the pit zips, you're going to be able to move. But then if you stop to call, you're also going to be able to, um, you know, zip up and, and wait and wait it out. But you can also have your Super Down Pro in the in your pack and, you know, wear your Kenai Ultra. And then if you're stopped, if it's cold enough, you're going to want to potentially double up with the Kenai Ultra and put the Super Down uh, Pro over the top. So hopefully that helps. Obviously, you're going to layer either with your Peloton uh, or your Merino wool. Normally, if you're hunting in those wet conditions like Alaska, uh, you're probably going to go with the Peloton. The Peloton's going to dry a lot faster than the Merino wool. Um, and I've been a huge fan of Merino wool, but I'm slowly but surely kind of transitioning and, and morphing, as I call it, into... Uh, really loving the uh, Peloton, the, the synthetic uh, material. Uh, so hopefully hopefully that helps you. Uh, differences between the Kuyu Tiburon Attack. Let's see. Kuyu Tiburon, the Kuyu Attack, and the Kuyu Guide. Uh, okay, so the Tiburon are my favorite warm season pant. Uh, they're super breathable. They have the dot air technology where air flows through them very freely. Uh, I also, all summer, I'm actually right here in Arizona, I'm wearing uh, the Tiburon shorts. I wear the Tiburon shorts. I have, I think, five or six different pair. I have um, major brown. I have uh, the gunmetal color. I have uh, several pair in Vias, several pair in Verde 2.0. I wear the Kuyu shorts all summer long. Uh, the Ku or excuse me, the Tiburon shorts made by Kuyu all summer long, as well as any warm season hunts, uh, whether it be archery elk hunting in Arizona or Colorado or turkey hunting, uh, I am wearing the Tiburon pants. Uh, even scouting for the Desert Bighorn the other day, it was like highs in the 73 to 75. I wore the Tiburon pants, and uh, those are, are, I really like those pants. The attack pant is an awesome pant as well. It's a it's um, a four-way stretch pant. Uh, it's a smidge more durable than the Tiburon, it, uh, and uh, it's it it's probably Kuyu's number one selling pant and has been for a long time. Uh, it's it's like I said, a little heavier duty than the Tiburon, um, but the attack pant is a great pant. It's got cargo pockets. Um, very comfortable four-way stretch. Uh, and then my favorite pant for the cold weather would be the guide pant, which uh, it's it's got a fleece lining. It's got a four-way stretch, uh, and it's a lot warmer than, the say, the attack pant. Now, there's a couple, well, there's a handful of new pants uh, that have come out that you're not mentioning here in this question, but there's the Axis pant, there's the Talus pant, and the Pro pant, uh, with the Axis pant being... Uh, the heaviest duty of, of all of those pants uh, and for the coldest temperatures. And they've actually, 
uh, set it up where there's different material in different parts of the pant. So you've got areas where you need more durability. You've got areas where you need more breathability. Uh, most all of the Kuyu pants come with side vent uh, zips that uh, allow ventilation on the side. So when you're hiking, you can zip down and ventilate. And then when you stop to glass or stop to call or something, you can zip those pants back up. So um, go to Kuyu, K-U-I-U.com. Uh, and you can, there's actually a pant breakdown uh, where you can look at all the differences and they go through the weights, um, they go through all the different seasons, they go through the materials, and it's actually a real helpful tool on the KUYU's website. That's KUIU.com. Question here uh, Jay, what is the best pant for 20 to 40 degree hunting weather? Uh, for me, it's the guide pant. Uh, any conditions under about 40 degrees, uh, I pull out the guide pant. I love the guide pant. You should try them out. Uh, best time of day to see deer movement during early rut. So best time of day to see deer movement during early rut. Now, I don't know whether he's talking about coos deer or mule deer, um, but I'm going to say mornings and evenings are always best. Uh, but if, you know, if, if, if you're getting early rut... Uh, and you've got hot does, those bucks will be, you know, chasing them. They'll be running around at any time during the day. Uh, remember to glass into those shade pockets. You know, at first light, definitely you can look on the sunny side of the hills and such, but, you know, 8, 30, 9 o'clock, as it starts, as you feel your body warming, you can almost bet that those deer are going to be dropping over on the shady side of the hill, uh, and uh, that's a great tip for you. Here's a question. Is there any way to judge the bases on a ram, uh, tricks or tips? So my answer to that is anytime I'm going into a new unit or a, even a unit that I've hunted, I keep a statistical chart that I've gotten, I get every year, the harvest uh, report from the Game and Fish, and I'm able to track the base uh, the base measurements for the rams that are harvested, the age of the rams, the base of the rams, and the length of the rams. And then anytime I can, whether it's a ram that we harvested or another outfitter or a private individual, I try and gather as many photos as I can of rams uh, that have come out of that specific unit. So on my phone, I keep a folder of, you know, so-and-so's ram, had 14 and 2 eighths inch bases, had 36 inch left horn, 37 and a half inch right horn, you know, even if I can get the other measurements of the horn, I put everything that I can. I put the date that it was harvested, the year it was harvested, and I try and keep as much statistical data as I can. Uh, for instance, I'm hunting in the new waters this year, so I've gone back since 2007 and gotten all of the base measurements for that unit that have been harvested so that when I'm field judging or when I'm looking at a ram, I'm never going to want to give more than the average base measurement. So I take all those rams and then I average, I get an average going. And let's say that there's, you know, the average is 14 and 4 eighths on bases, you know, and maybe there's been one 15 inch ram. Maybe there's, you know, a bunch of, you know, right around that 14, 4, 14, 5, 14, 3. Um, I'm never going to look at a ram and go, oh, that's got 16 inch bases. I use the baseline of, if, if the average is 14 and 4 eighths, that's kind of what I'm going to use. Now, if I've got documentation of a bunch of rams in the unit and this one particular ram is considerably heavier than any other ram, maybe I'll give him 15 when looking at it. And then I also compare when I'm actually looking at the ram or if I'm looking at a trail camera picture of the ram, I try and pull up on my phone the image that I've saved in my research that I've saved to try and say, hey, this is like so-and-so's ram and I'm looking at the through my spotting scope or if I, if I take phone scope video, I'm um, looking at, you know, through my through my. Uh, phone scope and I can compare the phone scope video to the pictures or the video on my phone and say, yeah, these bases look a, a real similar. That's, that's a huge tip that I can give you. Um, I, I try not to reinvent the wheel. I try and use the statistical data that, that we've gotten or that we have access to and use that to your advantage. Um, also, 
you know, you hear if there's not much space between the horns, that's a bigger, that's a bigger base. That's not always true. It's a, it can be a good rule of thumb. You know, when you start talking about, you know, ear clearance and the tip of the ear and does it touch the horn or is there distance there that can also, you know, help you determine mass throughout the horn. There's so much that goes into it, but I'm a huge fan of not reinventing the wheel. I'm a huge fan of using the data that we have the access to and getting that general baseline uh, of rams that have been harvested in the exact unit and then trying to plug the numbers in from there. Now, you may be looking at, let's say, his left horn and you've got six photos of, you know, a left horn that's between, you know, 34 and 36, and the ram that you're currently looking at through your spotting scope looks way longer than any of the rams you have, then maybe he's a 36 and a half, 37 inch ram. Um, but if he's about the same size when he turns to the side and you get that perfect side-on look, um, and it, it looks just like the photos, then you can go, okay, so he's somewhere between that 34 and 36 range. Got a question here. Uh, is the Kuyu Super Down Pro jacket warm enough for tree stand hunting in Kansas? I actually think it'd be ideal. Um, I think the Super Down Pro jacket from Kuyu, both the jacket and pants, would be ideal. Now, I would not wear them from wherever you're walking to your tree stand. I would carry them in your pack. Uh, whether you're using a fanny pack or a backpack to take up into your tree stand, I would not wear them until you get to the stand uh, because, you know, they're, they're not made really for active wear. They're made for sitting. Uh, sitting a tree stand is exactly what they're made for, except really sitting and glassing on a hillside. But same principle, um, I would definitely think the Super Down Pro jacket and pants would be a great thing. I'd carry them in your pack, get in your tree stand, and then put your pants and jacket on and you'll be nice and toasty. Jay, I noticed that GoHunt.com Insider was the title sponsor of your podcast. Did they move, let's see, did they just move away from the title sponsor? What's going on? So GoHunt.com Insider has been the title sponsor of my podcast since it started. Uh, they have created a gear shop and an optics department that my friend, Cody Nelson, who was uh, the manager at the Outdoorsman's for seven years here in Phoenix, has moved to the Go Hunt gear shop. He is the optics manager uh, for GoHunt.com. And so GoHunt approached me and said that they would like to shift or transition their sponsorship from the Go Hunt Insider, which they still want me to promote, to the Go Hunt Gear Shop. So if you guys have any questions at all about optics, I just had him on a podcast. I believe it was episode number 505, either 504 or 505. Uh, we talked about all kinds of questions for optics and binos and spotting scopes and tripods and rifle scopes and what have you. If you have any questions at all, he will answer the phone himself. You can call 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. Or you can email him at optics at GoHunt.com or Cody, C-O-D-Y, at GoHunt.com. And he w has promised me that he will take care of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast listeners. He'll give you guys a great deal, so give him a call. Um, he's happy to chat and discuss. Uh, that's what he does all day long. He deals with customers and answering their questions and their needs in regards to binos and tripods and spotting scopes and, you know, whether you use 10s or 8s or 15s or, you know, he can talk to you about all the different brands and manufacturers, uh, the pros and the cons and, and, you know, very detailed, very personable, uh, you know, he takes each customer on a one-on-one -on -one basis and, and, you know, gets their needs met, gets their questions answered, and uh, he does a great job, and I call him the glassing guru, I call him the optics authority. Uh, give Cody a call if you guys are seeking uh, any optic uh, advice. Uh, let's see, I'll do one more question here, and then we'll save the rest for another episode. Uh, Arizona Unit 29 Super Tall Grass Glassing Technique uh, buck location this time of year. 
Okay, when the grass is tall, one tip I can give you is that if you're down below and you're looking up, the, it's going to be hard because the coos there aren't very tall and a lot of times the grass covers these bucks up. So I like to even more in tall grass situations, I like to get up as high as I can and look down or at least across and down. But specifically, if you can get up and look down, the grass is not as much of a factor. And you'll probably find more deer if you're glassing down into long grass than looking up. A lot of times you just see their ear tips, maybe even just their rack. And when you're scanning and panning and, you know, looking around, it's hard to see a deer's body because the grass covers them up. Um, where are bucks this time type of year? We've covered it. Um, Definitely, you know, sunny sides in the morning for the first hour, but then transition to looking into the shade pockets. I've gotten probably 25 or 30 different messages from listeners that have already tried those tactics out this year of glassing into the shade and finding more bucks in those shade pockets. And so I know it works. I've been using it for years. And uh, hopefully any of these questions uh, or any of these answers to these questions have helped you guys out. Uh, guys, I want to thank you for your support of this podcast. I've got a bunch more questions. We'll do it on another episode. Keep them coming. I'm happy to answer them. Uh, I'll have some guests on as well, and, and we can do some joint answering. Um, always happy to help you guys. I want to thank the sponsors again. I uh, want you guys to uh, check out the sponsors in the show notes. Uh, check out the different promo codes, uh, you know, like the phone scope. Uh, you get a 10% discount if you use the JScott18 promo code with Onyx Maps. If you use the JScott18 promo code, you're going to get a 20% discount. Canyon Coolers, if you use the JScott18 uh, or JScott uh, promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. Uh, and then don't forget uh, Cody Nelson at GoHunt.com Gear Shop. Uh, he does a phenomenal job. And then Kuyu. KUIU.com. All of these are in the show notes. Uh, guys, until next time, God bless. Uh, keep sending the questions and thank you for your uh, support of this podcast.